Amen. Thank you, Jessica Nisi. Um, <clears throat> what a wonderful way to begin the service by praying the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And as uh, Kevin prayed for the tithes and offerings, a joke popped into my mind. So I'm just going to share it to you while, I'm, while I have the moment. But there were... Uh, it was a terrible shipwreck out in the middle of the ocean and there were only two survivors and they found their way to this little remote island in the middle of nowhere and they, they, they climb up onto the beach and, and uh, one of the guys is frantic and he's looking around trying to figure out what we're going to do, how we're going to be saved and the other guy just kind of goes over the beach and he, he grabs a piece of driftwood and situates it and pushes the sand and finally gets real comfortable and just kind of lays there and relaxes and the other guy's panicky. What are you doing? Don't you realize we're going to die on this island? We need to find survival tools. And he says, you don't understand. Uh, I'm a Christian. And he said, oh, so you think your God's going to save you? You think he's just going to come right here in the middle of nowhere and, and, and beam us up somewhere? Is that what it is? He says, you don't understand. I make a million dollars a year. He said, oh, so you think your money is good out here? Your money's going to save you out here. He said, no, you don't understand. I faithfully tithe. He said, oh, so you think your church is going to come out here and save you? He said, I make a million dollars a year. I faithfully tithe. My pastor will be here any minute to rescue us. <laughs> I don't know, just a joke. We are in the book of 2 Corinthians. That's our new study. We're going to immerse ourselves in that. Who's that squealing back there? Devin's covering for her nephew. He can squeal all he wants. Good to see him. So in our first sermon, we just kind of did an introduction and uh, found our way in the context of Paul's situation, why he might be writing to the Corinthians, got a little idea about what their church was like. And so I'm not going to repeat that, but in, in lieu of the introduction, it's only fair that I also mention something that if you study either one of these books, you're going to come across. So it's only fair that I mention what are known as the lost letters. And I don't want to spend a lot. Of, I'm going to try to be as brief but clear as possible because I don't want you to leave in confusion because I rushed through it. But it is the lost letters and volumes have been written on it. But in essence, um, what many people believe, and according to Paul's writings that we do have, there were four letters. Some people say three. One was split in two parts, but there were actually four letters written. And I remember at Bible college, I first learned about Paul's lost letters. And I said, what? Lost letters? I'm taking this Bible back and getting one with all the letters in it. But then as they began to explain it, no, it's not. We're not missing uh, um, inspired letters. We're not missing a single word of God's revelation. The letters were just on a personal note. And there's no reason whatsoever to believe that the canon that we have right now is not completely sufficient and complete. It is. And we're not to add to it and not to take away from it. But there were letters which piqued my curiosity because even though they may not be 
inspired by God, they would still be historical and might give us a little better insight into Paul and the Corinthian church. However, we do not um, we do not possess these letters. They're lost and they're mysterious. But here is um, the short for, uh, form of the story. As you know, Paul went on several missionary trips. It was on his second missionary trip where he planted the church of Corinth. And you will remember that Corinth was not known for its godliness. It was actually just the opposite. The Apostle Paul spent 18 months, about a year and a half there, teaching the word of God, bringing the gospel, bearing the gospel, answering questions, and people were getting saved. Now, this is an amazing thing because Corinth was a terrible, terrible, wicked place. And it was multicultural because people that wanted to travel in that area, north or west, they had a, a, a land bridge and isthmus there. And so if you're going north and south, you would save yourself a lot of times. They even carried their boats, but even east and west travel. So it was packed. It was multicultural. And there were it was known for its um, prostitutes, the temple priests, priestesses. And there were thousands of them and they would come down. And so. The um, the Greek word to Corinthianize actually means uh, to bed down with a prostitute and has to do with acts of lewdness. So how would you like that reputation to that your city is actually named after and has a reputation for acts of lewdness? So er, about every sin that you read about in Holy Scripture that God hates is alive and well in this city. People are lost. They are dark. They are wicked. They are evil. And here comes the Apostle Paul with a passion of God who says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of all who believe, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. And he preached the gospel and these wicked, evil, lost people begin to come to Christ. And he plants a church there and he stays there a year and a half. And the the reason I'm explaining about these lost letters isn't so much to pique our curiosity. I know it's not the kind of historical information that'll keep you on the edge of your seat because we don't have the letters. I don't know what they say. But it's to show you God's goodness and it's to show you the Apostle Paul's care. And it's just to reveal that there was more interaction between the Apostle and this young church than what we may have realized at first. We know that he wrote a letter before he wrote the inspired letter of 1 Corinthians that is in our Bible, based on what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, where he says, I wrote to you in my first letter not to, to associate with sexually immoral people. So this is a letter that was written before what we have as 1 Corinthians. And it was written about none other than sexual immorality. Surprise, surprise. So, yeah, this, this young church, they had a lot of questions that there was still sanctification going on. There, there were illicit relationships. It wasn't just like an instantaneous holiness. And so Paul is working with them. They're working with Paul. As a matter of fact, not only did Paul write that lost letter that we don't have, but the Corinthians wrote back to Paul. So they were in correspondence. They wrote a letter of their own. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. He says, now, concerning the matters about which you wrote. So you see there's correspondence going on there. 
And then Paul, this is his second missionary trip. He went back to uh, Antioch, which was kind of a sending church. And he launched on a third missionary trip. And in this trip, is he planted several churches. But one of the churches he planted was Ephesus. We read out of the book of Ephesus this morning in Sunday school. And he stayed there three years, about three years, preaching the gospel, preaching the gospel, nurturing that church. And Ephesus became a very strong church. And that was kind of his base in, in Asia Minor, if you will. And he launched from there. But he's still in correspondence with the Corinthians. And there are people from Corinth coming to him and reporting to him, Paul, we got issues, we got church issues, we've got people doing crazy things, what do we do? And we're not clear on all of this, this stuff in, in the Word and we need your help. And so he is in correspondence in that way and he writes another letter to them. And some of uh, this is known as the severe letter because Paul mentions this letter as well that we'll look at this briefly when we get to chapter 7. He says, though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that the letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while. So it's caused a severe, he had to be so rough with them that he hurt them. And he realizes that. But the severeness brought or bore fruit. And Paul's also sending his, his, his best guys, Titus, Timothy are also, they know, these saints. He's sending people back and forth to get reports and to help um, shepherd them as well. And then his last letter, of course, was um, 2 Corinthians. Which he also wrote because of the issues there. And we have that book. So the idea, of course, is that look at God's care. I mean, Paul, you, you, you didn't just hop in a car in those days and you didn't. he's not texting these answers back and forth. It, it takes great effort to stay in touch. But through God's love and care for the churches that he plants, he's going to make sure that there's somebody there that, to give answers, that, that they're, they're being shepherded and cared for because it's his church. And that's why he gifts people and gives people passion to teach others and counsel others and encourage others and befriend others in the gospel. So there's a tight relationship and I think that's going to help us understand this book a little better when we see what Paul has been through with these Corinthians. It was not a trouble-free church. There was a lot of issues that they had to wrestle with. So having said that, let's read our text for this morning. 2 Corinthians, the first chapter, verses 3 through 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in in comfort, too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. You got to love the way the apostle launches into this book 
this letter. He's writing to this troubled church, these young Christians. He knows they have deep issues and it's hard for them to pull away from the world and to draw close to God. And he begins this letter with, with just praise. Blessed be God. God be blessed. And he's, he's, it means to think well of God, to speak well of God. God be blessed or blessed be the Lord. And he is thinking highly of him. And in blessing him, specific titles come to his mind as he thinks about this God that he so passionately loves and serves. And by Paul addressing him with specific titles, it actually helps us comprehend God, our God, better. In a better light, we see God in different ways from different angles. And when we get a little deeper into Paul's sufferings, you'll understand even more clearly why Paul might use these particular titles to describe God. Blessed be the God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. The interesting thing is that uh, probably about 25 years ago, you wouldn't hear that from the Apostle Paul because he was still an unconverted Jew. And so all of his uh, identity with God, um, what he would have said is, would have been, blessed be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That was a common Jewish blessing. But in the New Testament, you find him blessing God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So now Paul recognizes that all of God's redemptive, uh, redemptive acts, which came through the patriarchs, that was his plan, came through the prophets of old, the poets of old, now, God's redemptive acts and God's word comes through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the exact representation of God as our ladies doing the Hebrews study will find. The other thing that just gripped me about this greeting that we would read right over to get into the meat of the gospel is the sheer depth of this title, Lord Jesus Christ. If you just think about the meaning of that name, what you really have in that one name is a presentation or an understanding of the gospel. Because the Lord represents deity. That, that Christ is God, very God of very God. He is one with God. He is equal with God. So that's Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ. He's the sovereign God. Then you have... His, so that's his deity. Then you have his earthly name, his heavenly name, and his earthly name is Jesus. And that means salvation. You see, not only is Jesus fully God, but he's fully man. He took on human flesh. God wrapped himself in human flesh and came to this earth and lived as a man. Came into the world as a baby, mind you, and was laid in that thing, laid in that thing. Remember, baby Jesus was laid in that. What's it called again, Sam? A loving family. He was laid in that loving family. Laid in the manger. So we have the Lord who is God and then we have Jesus who is man. He's here. He came into our world and invaded it with his kingdom, which is what he's doing this morning. He's continuing 
continuing to extend His reign and His rule even in our hearts this morning. And then you have Lord Lord Jesus Christ, the Anointed One. And so in the Old Testament, God anointed individuals to to serve him. And he has anointed Christ with the anointing of anointings because he now all salvation comes through him. All the goodness of God comes through him because he has been anointed to do the Lord's work. Though he's God and he's man and as man, God is his father. As man, he is God's servant. He submits himself voluntarily and willingly to his heavenly father. And as the Christ, he is the one, the Messiah, that God promised to send. And so we hear Lord Jesus Christ, sometimes the Lord's name taken in vain. And yet if you just think about what those names actually entail, you have a presentation of the gospel in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you care to just take a few minutes, if you hear somebody using those that terminology, ever considered what these words mean or what? It means when you say these names, let me explain this to you. And you have the plan of God. But the Apostle Paul doesn't stop there with the blessed titles. He also calls God the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. The Father of mercies. Do you understand? And is your relationship with God one that goes to God or depends on God or approaches God as a merciful God. Not just a holy God that does punish sin, but as a merciful God. In Jewish literature, the synagogue prayer was, Our Father, merciful Father, ever compassionate, have mercy on us. You know, it's it's a beautiful thing For humanity to understand our pitiful state and our deprivation and how much we are in need of the mercy of God. How much we are in need of God's love and God's compassion. Because really what we earn is God's wrath. And even if it's not sin on our account, there are others that bring havoc into our lives, their sins. We live in a broken, cursed world. And we are constantly in need of God's mercy. His love. And it's by understanding God in this way that it enables us, I would say, to to actually live and thrive in a broken, cursed world. Uh, Jeremiah in his... It's a whole book of tears, lamentations. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. His compassions never fail. Great is your faithfulness. And so the the idea is that, you know, I could be consumed with all the brokenness, with all my own sin. I hurt the people I love the most and people are hurting me all the time and I don't even see it coming. I could let my hard heart get Cold and callous and apathetic. But the reason I don't is because of God's mercy. It just comes to me and I don't deserve it. And it keeps my heart warm and loving so I can still feel and know God. The Apostle Paul has experienced God in this way because of the great sufferings that he has experienced. He's experienced God in a way that perhaps he never thought 
He would. When we're suffering, we need to know that not only is God holy, but God is merciful, which means God is on our side. If you are a child of God, you have to understand this important doctrine that everything that comes to us in this world, whether we describe it as good or bad, comes through the loving, merciful hands of God. And it is only for our good and for his glory. That makes a huge difference in how we handle the sufferings that come our way. And if you haven't already, I'd be shocked, taken aback. You haven't already suffered. You will. You will. And you're going to need to think about this father of mercy that we can humble ourselves Recognize our pitiful state and know there is something bigger than we are that is good. Our good, good Father. You know, in this broken world, we need God-sized mercy. Human-sized mercy isn't going to cut it all the time. It's helpful and God uses it. We need God-sized mercy. God-sized compassion. Some things just put us down so hard and hurt so much. Only God can suffice and bring us up out of it, as Jeremiah said. He is the father of mercies and he is the God of all comfort. Boy, use the word comfort. Comfort is a very popular thing in our culture. And we like to be comforted. We like to be comfortable. I hear that word probably every week. I'm going to put my comfy clothes on or my comfy pajamas. Or my, these are my comfortable shoes. Now, what comes to your mind when you think about comfort? Don't say it. But maybe what comes to my mind is we literally have a, a down comforter on top of our bed. So in the wintertime, we put that on there and it keeps us cozy and warm at night. It brings comfort as opposed to being all cold and agitated and so forth. Comfort. We like to kick our feet up, put our feet up on the chair and kick back. What is your idea of just comfort? Not a care in the world, maybe on the beach or in a hammock or just rocking chair on your front porch. Maybe your blankie. If you're real still young, your blankie. I just need my blankie or my thumb. My thumb brings me all the comfort when I get stressed. I pop that thumb in there and just suck on that thing and all my or twirl my hair. There's different things that. That people do that become their security. So is this is what is this what Paul is teaching these young Christians in Corinth that God is our big squishy pillow of the heaven, and He's going to make our life comfortable and easy and cushiony. Is that what He's teaching? That would be good to know. Is that the kind of comfort that Paul is talking about? Well, God certainly can bring comfortable up us into comfortable positions for sure he can relieve us from misery for sure that's part of it but that doesn't go nearly for as far as it needs to in order for us to understand the hope that this word brings because the word for comfort here is the word parakaleo the greek word parakaleo or parakalesis and you think wait a minute i've heard that before because that's also the name of That describes the Holy Spirit as our comforter. 
So the idea of softness, it might start with that. But the, the meat behind this word, when we look at God as the God of all comfort, is that he is the one that will come alongside us. Not, not just pat us on the back or warm us with his arm. But he'll walk alongside us and he'll provide the encouragement we need and the strength we need and the courage we need to get but up out of this terrible situation of pain and hurt and misery. So it's not just throwing a pillow down for us to get more comfortable. It's actually more so helping us up, enabling us to continue in our pilgrimage and service for Him. It's bringing the encouragement. So we are depleted. We have no strength. Sometimes we get in these places. I have been in places, and I'm sure many of you, you have been in places or you have faced days where you get with God and you just say, you know what, God, I can't do this anymore. Whatever it is, it's in your life. I can't do it anymore. I don't even want to wake up tomorrow. So we, we are depleted of all our hope, depleted of all our strength, all our courage and pick myself up by my own bootstraps. And God of all comfort comes and he speaks encouragement and he, and he instills strength where there was no strength, bravery where, where there was no bravery. And he just kind of begins to put uh, the wind back in her sails as Rick Dunn shared with us one communion Sunday about the Holy Spirit being the wind in our sails. Now, this is important to know God in this way because it means when we face those days, when it, mean, it means that when we literally don't have any human grit to give, it doesn't mean it's over. It means God is there right with us. He's going to instill within us the strength and the courage we need to serve His purpose in glory. And it will be passionate. It will be merciful. It will be Loving. The Apostle Paul, we'll get into this a little bit later this morning, but also a little later to show you how how fallen he was. His life was a mess, and this is what he's sharing about. The God, Father of mercies, and the God of comfort came to me and brought me out of this. And this is why he is full of praise and he can't say enough about God. He can't think highly enough about him because he experienced him in a new way. Did he that he perhaps did not even think was possible. But I think about that. I thought, is that, is that my testimony? Is that my attitude? When I'm in suffering or have just come out of a terrible mess, is just praise being uttered from my mouth? Because I have just experienced God and learned about God in a new way and he took me deeper? Not usually. Usually I'm pretty bitter. Uh, you probably you might not want to be around me if if I'm in if I'm suffering through those bad, uncomfortable, agitating things that come into my life. But what a rebuke when the apostle can't even say enough good about God, and he has just suffered nearly to death. You know when the bullies of this world knock us off our bikes and throw us in the ditch. What are we going to do? Are we just going to stay there? Or are we going to lift our eyes 
to the Father of mercy and the God of all comfort who will enable us to get back up. Only He can do this. It's God-sized. He has all authority over everything and everyone. He can restore us in this way. And that's why I use the um, title, Comfortable Suffering, because it's a play on words in the sense that we can be comforted in our suffering as God encourages us and gives us strength. Helps us back on our feet to face the challenge. It only makes sense in the big picture that we're here to glorify God to begin with. Now here we have the apostle. He couldn't be more passionate about God. The reason is because of the suffering that he endured. The suffering that he endured enabled him to see God's power manifested in such a way that now he's even more encouraged about the God that he serves. Perhaps he wouldn't have that passion behind him had he not suffered in this way. John MacArthur says, wherever you find a Christian life that is covered with the mists and the fogs of sorrow, you will likely find the verdant green beauty of the soul. Great hearts, you see, are the product of great troubles. The trials of life inevitably provide God with the opportunity to humble us. And humbling is the path to glory. He allows so much trouble in order that he might give so much comfort and so much strength that we might not in our own strength, but in his become all that he wants us to be. Wherever we are in our faith this morning, wherever we are in our pilgrimage, whatever we are facing, consider these blessed names found in this letter of 2 Corinthians and be strengthened and encouraged by them as we look upward to God. And secondly, we see here the benefits. See four benefits. There's three in the bulletin. I don't know what happened. I don't know if I missed one or or some computer did some kind of glitch. I'm sure it wasn't a human error. It's the computer. Anyway, we see, I see four benefits in this. Let's look at, first of all, uh, God's comfort confirms his promise. In verse 4, the Apostle Paul says, who comforts us in all our affliction. And in essence, what the Apostle is saying is, listen, whenever I suffer, no matter how severely, God is always there. He is always there. To encourage me. He's always there to strengthen me. He's made this promise. And he just keeps it and keeps it and keeps it. And I I particularly see it in my sufferings. And I'm learning that I'm the sheep of his pasture. And he's shepherding me through these times. And so it's just confirmation after confirmation. As he comforts me. How many times has... God comforted you in your times of sorrow. Each one is a confirmation. And Paul's saying the very character of God is faithfulness. And he just finds all these opportunities to confirm his faithfulness to us and confirm his promise. He who began a good work will complete it. And then we also see, secondly, 
that God's comfort makes comforters. I think that's the one that was didn't make it into the bulletin. God's comfort. Now think about this. God's comfort makes comforters. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So if we flesh this out, the idea is that the glorious, wonderful, heartwarming, strengthening comfort that we receive from God is not an end in of itself. But there's it, the purpose goes beyond just meeting us. The idea is that God would come to us in such a powerful way with powerful truths and help that there will be enough comfort. We will be so filled and sufficiently comforted that we will have enough to give. So we receive more than what we need. And when God meets us in these ways, we also, he is saying, have enough to notice others that are struggling and to come to them and comfort them in the way that God comforted us. This is a powerful, powerful tool. That's why even in our culture, for better, for worse, they're not all filled with truth. But if you find a group, we have support groups. Support groups can be a very powerful thing when you find truth there because you have a group of people that are like-minded in whatever it is that they're going through. That means when you say certain words or describe certain experiences, they're right there with you. I know you suffered that loss. I know the thoughts that come to your mind. I, I know how the world affects you. I can relate with that. I get it. And so support groups, as long as truth is being fed, can be a very powerful thing. They help people overcome addictions and tragedies and losses of all kinds. And that's the idea here, is that you've been comforted. Now you know something that not everybody knows, but there are others that need to know it. How did you get through it? I mean, it seems impossible. How did you get through such a loss or, or such a hit or such a slam at your count, your, your character? How did you get through the gossip and the lies? The deception, the abuse. How did you, how can you live through this kind of stuff? But you can. Because God comes and comforts us with truth, with supernatural strength and power. And he shepherds us. And we can take those same principles and help others that are looking for help and need help. They need the answers that we find in Holy Scripture. So God comes to us with an abundant amount of comfort. I re- my mind is drawn to good old Apostle Peter. You know, the one that speaks first and thinks last. He acts first and thinks last. He's just, he's so out there, you got to love him. But anyway, it was in Luke uh, 22. And Peter is convinced. As things are starting to heat up, you know, Jesus is close to the cross now. Peter's convinced. You know what? I don't know about these guys. There's no way in the world I'm ever going to betray Jesus. I mean, I just, he's got my whole heart. He has all my love. And if everybody in the world betrayed him, I wouldn't. It's just the kind of person I am. And in that same passage, 
Um, Jesus says, uh, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you knew me. That's what happened. So now you got this guy who thought he was it. And he found out he isn't it. And you know he's deflated. So is that is that it? Is, is his Christian walk over? He denied the Lord. What do you do when you find yourself at the bottom? Maybe even you did things that you didn't even think you were capable of doing. And you are at the bottom. Well, listen to what else Jesus said just before that prediction in verse 32. It says, but Peter, I have prayed for you. I have prayed that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. He has prayed for Peter that his faith would not fail and it didn't. Peter was at his lowest and rather than staying there because of the power of God, not only did he get up and serve him, but Jesus said, when I pick you up, when you turn and repent, I'm going to pick you up in such a way that I'm going to use you to be the encourager of your brothers. So now it's his great faith and, and passion, but propelled by humility. And so he's given this task from Christ. Look, you know what it's like, Peter, to be at your lowest, but then to be lifted up. Your brothers need that too. You have a, There are people in here that have been given that gift of being low, but yet being picked up by God in a variety of ways. And you have something that others don't. And God would have you use that in other people's lives to help them in their pilgrimage. Strengthen your brothers. Strengthen your sisters with how God has strengthened you. Is God speaking to you in this this morning? And then third, God's comfort has boundaries. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. So the idea is that there's, a, there's terrible severity of suffering, but yet there's... It's met with great comfort. So great suffering is met with great comfort. Now, the reason I say boundaries is because we can't expect God to shake the heavens because we have a hangnail. And sometimes we do. And sometimes we get a little discomfort in our Christian life, a little agitation, a little obstacle, and we're just wanting God to, to shake the heavens. But that's not proportionate. To, who, to God's character. It's not proportionate to what we need in our faith. Because that would be a false view of how life works. So there's boundaries to it. And I don't know about you, but there are times where I throw my suffering way out of proportion. And I'm crying out to God what I need. And nothing budges. Because he knows what I need. And it'll be fine without the, the fire and brimstone falling from the sky. So there's boundaries on this. It's not like uh, an open bank of comfort here. It's, it's portioned out. There's stewardship involved. The other thing to realize, and Peter brings this out too, the other boundary about God's comfort is, 
It's for those that are doing righteous things. It's for those that are serving the Lord. It's, it's abundantly in Christ's suffering. So you're suffering because you are living the Christian life. It's not because you're doing wrong things that deserve the consequences of suffering. The idea, and Peter even tells us, look, don't be surprised. Don't look for God to bail you out. If you're just going to stay in sin and not repent, it's when you have repented and you're following the Lord and you're suffering for that sake, not for doing wrong, but for doing right, that's when God comes to you in this way. And then lastly, God's comfort grows his kingdom. Verse 6, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. You see, Paul says, look, when I'm suffering, it's for you. And when I'm comforted, it's for you. The idea is Paul's being honest with him. For me to bring you the gospel and for me to be involved in your lives, it's cost me a lot. I've traveled a lot. I've suffered a lot. I've faced a lot. We'll get into that later where he actually describes the things that he went through just to be a servant of Christ. And he's letting them know, look, you have the good news. But for me to get there and give it to you, it cost me. It hurt. I suffered severely, but it's worth it. It's worth it because now you have salvation and now you're worshiping the true God. And not only that, but as I experience Christ through the highs and the lows, it better equips me to feed you and to help you grow in Christ. So whether it's great days or terrible days, God is using all of them to grow, not just me individually, but to grow his kingdom in other people. So you just take all of this in in this passage, these powerful scriptures. And we think about where are we in God this morning? Where are we in Christ? What do we know about Him? How do we turn to Him? What do we think about Him? In the troubles and the pain. The abundance is there. The mercy is there. I'm reminded of King David, who, another example of someone that fell in grievous sin. And he knew he had to be disciplined for it. But he was given a choice. Do you want to be disciplined by man, put in the hands of man for justice to be served? Or do you want to be put in the hands of God for justice to be served? And I think it's very telling that King David said, I'm going to put myself not just into the hands of God, but into the merciful hands of God. That means David understood that God is on his side and that even the discipline is an act of love. Even the chastisement is a merciful thing that God is doing to to create in us the fullness of Christ, which is where we find the greatest joy. Are there people that need to hear your testimony in this broken world? We rub shoulders with broken people in this broken world. And even just Lord Jesus Christ is a start of the gospel. You have a testimony, a gift, words, because God has come to you, words that will help others 
proclaim and grow in Christ. We serve an awesome God. Do we not? May God bless the preaching of His Word this morning.